Welcome to Network Collective. Twice a month, network practitioners gather for a live stream virtual roundtable to discuss topics of interest to us and maybe only us. For those of us, uh, for the, or for those of you watching live, you can tweet Network Collective and make it truly an interactive show. Um, this week, we are talking about routing protocols. Um, for most of us, when we enter a network environment, a good bit of the infrastructure is already built. Routing protocols are in place and we're left to make incremental adjustments, but we wanted to examine what criteria should be uh, considered when building a network infrastructure from scratch, especially with routing protocols. So to shed some light on this topic, we've invited uh, two layer three gurus, Russ White and Kevin Myers. Um, Russ, why don't you introduce yourself? Hi everybody, I'm Russ White. Was that good, Yvonne? Oh. <laughs> uh, tell, tell us where to find you. <laughs> you can find me at rule11.tech and you can find me all over the web and other places as well. All right. And Kevin? Hey, my name is Kevin Myers. I'm a, a network architect and co-founder of IP Architects. We do um, a lot of different environments, uh, ISP, uh, WISP, wireline, routing, um, network design, and uh, enterprise and data center as well. And um, kind of getting into the white box thing, that's, that's our specialty is going into white box integration. So that's kind of my world. Alrighty. Um, I am Yvonne Sharp. I'm a consulting network engineer for a Fortune 500 healthcare enterprise. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Sharp Network or on the blog at esharp.net. Um, Phil, why don't you say hi? Hey, everybody. I'm Phil Gervasi. Uh, I'm an engineer, network engineer in uh, upstate New York at a pharmaceutical company. You can find me on Twitter at network underscore Phil, and my blog is networkphil.com. All right. And Jordan? Yes, I'm, uh, I'm Jordan Martin. <clears throat> I'm uh, at BC Jordan on Twitter. I blog at jordanmartin.net. Uh, my day job, I'm a data center technology consultant for Core BTS. All right, let's, uh, let's kick this off with a simple question. So uh, in today's environments, um, is one networking protocol really better than the other or are they all really about the same? What do you guys think? Depends on whether you're talking about IGPs or BGP, right? All right. Let's start with let's start with IGPs. Okay, so IGPs. So I think that IGPs have come to the point now where they're beyond the scaling that most people need in their networks anyway. So they're all pretty much the same, other than some features and some ways of looking at problems, right? So whether you deploy ISIS or OSPF or EIGRP, there I said it. EIGRP. <laughs> 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 just as long as you don't. Just as long as you don't say rip, we're good. <laughs> I, I can't. <laughs> I can't say that. I don't know what that is. Russ, what do you what do you mean exactly by scaling? So I think that I've actually seen ISIS OSPF run in networks with five thousand routers in a single mm -hmm. flooding domain. If you have more than five thousand routers in your flooding domain, then we need to have a discussion. <laughs> heart to heart. You must really like routers. <laughs> 
So, and, and you know, and that, and Russ, I think that, you know, and that it depends on the environment you're in and, and where you differ. And it depends on what routers you're using too. Cause you know, a lot of Cisco has yeah. always been the baseline for a lot of us, but you know, certain routers don't handle that as well as others. And it depends on the CPU and resources. So I think, you know, I think we had talked earlier about some different metrics to scale your IGP yeah. and when is my IGP flooding domain getting too big. And so, you know, for me, I've seen some where you get into even a few hundred routers and a few thousand routes in, in OSPF that gets to be overwhelming. And so I, I think it, it is a, it's a very dynamic thing depending on what routers you're using and what your use case is. But you're supposed to have end of life those Cisco 2500s. So we're still depreciating those routes. Yeah, that that technology investment was supposed to last for 15 years. No. Um, So, so, I mean, when I talk to my customers about this and and I'm talking about running protocols, I think for, for, I don't know, I guess I'd say the large majority of the enterprises, right? Like the, the routing protocol that you choose is more about, um, about familiarity and and mm-hmm. and meeting specific requirements. I know that there are some things that one routing protocol does a little bit better than other, and we can we can talk about that as we go along. Um, but but the differences are, are are fairly minute at this point, and so a lot of it comes down to supportability. Uh, can you find engineers who can run this particular protocol? That's a, that's a big component, um, and the other component is is the openness, right? So EIGRP, I think, is a fantastic protocol. But if you're going to run anything other than Cisco in your network, you have to make the decision about whether or not you're going to be redistributing uh, between routing protocols or running only Cisco, which is not really a practical answer for yeah. for most enterprises beyond the very small right. ones. For, for right now, free range routing has an EIGRP open source implementation being worked on. The other thing is, I mean, there are some philo- philosophical differences between them. In a link state protocol, you micro loop during convergence in certain mm-hmm. topologies. And so that means that you're looping packets. And in some networks, that's okay. In others, it's not. So the right way to solve that is to use EIGRP or, you know, tune the routing protocol around thinking about these problems. So EIGRP drops packets rather than looping them. Um, there are some topological things, right? I mean, if you're in a large-scale hub-and-spoke network, yeah, you can make OSPF work, you can make ISIS work, but you're making it work. You're not, it's not actually working well necessarily on that network. There are other solutions that will work better in those types of things. So are you saying like OSPF and ISIS were designed more for mesh-style networks where there's many, many paths, multiple options? Right. Hub-and-spoke would lead... Uh, lend better more towards a a link state or a path or, vector. i'm sorry a path vector yeah, yeah or a link state not a, yeah yeah either okay. one i'm sorry a, a path vector or a distance distance vector, vector. yeah I, right. I said the wrong one as well yeah yeah <laughs> one of those two is going to be better for you on a on a but but please don't do the odr thing either okay oh but i love odr i think jordan recommended that earlier yes i did in slack today odr <laughs> but you know, jordan, i don't like odr you bring up a good point about the redistribution because redistribution for me is almost like a four-letter word it's like an ejection seat like yeah it's there and you could use it and maybe you will have to use it one day but i'd rather not have to use it and so you know trying to maintain a consistency as much as you possibly can and limit redistribution where you can to me it makes sense in a lot of networks you know whether it's service provider or enterprise, you know, that's one of my core tents of design is redistribution is unavoidable, but I try to limit it as, as much as I possibly can to keep the design sane. Yep. When I was on global escalation team in Cisco, I would say that 99.99% of the major network failures I ran into in some way related to redistribution. <laughs> I mean, it's the first thing you do. If you run into a network that fails, you're like, okay, first start cutting off alternate paths 
So reduce your reduce your parallelism down to minimum. And two, kill off redistribution or nail redistribution up with statics. And 99% of the time that solves the problem. Or, or better yet, Russ, put an access list on your redistribution. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I mean, if, you, if you're like in a network failure, you don't, you don't play with access lists. You just like. Static. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, no. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Just kill it. Kill it and be done. Yeah. Kill it and be done. And then when it comes back up, then you can start thinking about, okay, now what do I do to actually fix this? Right. So it doesn't happen again. Yeah. And, and by the way, access lists, I actually prefer tags only because <clears throat> someone somewhere is going to forget to change the access list. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I'm, I'm a fan, I'm a fact of, a fact of uh, tags and communities for that yeah. purpose. Yep. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. So, I mean, in, in general, which routing protocol do you use? There are some very specific narrowish cases that I think you need to use one thing or another beyond that. I mean, I'll just, you know, I, I can always be like Donnie Savage and say, you shouldn't use four-letter protocols. But. <laughs> <laughs> see, see, and I'm like, I'm on the other side, because EIGRP for me, I'm, I'm in a very multi-vendor world, you know, I'm not mm -hmm. in a Cisco-only world. So EIGRP for me hasn't really existed beyond study for the last few years, and then I encountered every so often. I think it's great now that it's coming into free-range routing, because there are some great things about it, like, you know, the unequal... Uh, you know, the ability to unequally load balance and, and things like that. But, you know, for me and my designs, OSPF has pretty much been the only IGP, unless we're talking about large, you know, scale service provider or something like that. And we're going to get into ISIS. I was going to say, are we even going to talk about EGPs? <laughs> no, we can just keep going on. I, we can just IGPs, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. <clears throat> So you need to branch out more to ISIS. I actually like ISIS better. Now, OSPF has some major changes coming right now or been worked on, but I actually like ISIS better. Can you, ex well, can you yeah, expound you on that? Explain no, why, yeah, tell us why, Russ. No, I shouldn't have even said it. Now I'm in trouble <laughs> with all my OSPF friends. <laughs> I'm going to get beat up at the next IETF. <laughs> You're going to gather around me. Is there something about the topology or is it the TLVs? Like what, what is it about ISIS? That, that lends you to, to saying that it, um, it would be your preferred over OSPF if you were deploying so today? There are various reasons. Number one, it's a layer two protocol sitting by itself. It doesn't rely on IP. With link local and V6, that changes somewhat with OSPF V3. It becomes much more similar, but I still really like the idea of not even having to give my, my segments, my transit segments, IP addresses, even link local. I can just shut IP down entirely and it still works type of thing. Um, and so there are other things. It actually is more scalable in some ways because it does true incrementals. OSPF v2 can't do true incremental SPF. Um, so it, it's just a little, to me, to me, it's a little cleaner of a, of, a, of a protocol the way it's designed. I like the way disk works better than DR. Um, so that's, it's just always been my preference has been ISIS over OSPF. If I have the choice, even in small networks, I actually prefer ISIS. I think so that, let me ask you this. Do you uh, run into issues with like firewalls and security devices and things that, cause I just don't, you know, outside of routers, I don't run into ISIS as much as a supported protocol right. when you're getting into devices that route, but aren't routers. The right solution is not to have firewalls. There's a show. Okay. Um, <laughs> I think, I think the other argument about ISIS is just, you know, coming back to my, you know, there's not many people who run it. And so, you know, I, and I understand it's huge in the service provider world and, and, but when we're talking about enterprise customers and we'll talk medium and below, 
uh, when you're when you're implementing a writing protocol, you're looking for something that you can f- readily find engineers who can run, yeah. um, who don't cost you know multiple six figures a year to to make it happen. But I'll, so, but I'll say this: I think that's a bit of a myth. I think people are scared of ISIS because it uses big addresses. Big. <laughs> you think that's it? Big I think it's just familiarity because I agree with yeah. you. You know, it's not that it's, much different from, from OSPF and, and the differences could be learned in a relatively short amount of time. If you're, fact, if you're familiar with the OSPF. Yeah. yeah. I mean, in fact, in fact, when I taught um, boot camp for Cisco TAC, I used to teach OSPF first and I would go through it. And I'd spend like eight hours teaching OSPF. I get to the end of it and they say, well, we only had eight hours for link state. So how am I supposed to learn ISIS? And I always just say, just forget half of everything I taught you, and you already know ISIS. <laughs> I have to uh, I have to agree with Jordan though about familiarity because yeah. ISIS is not part of the the standard canon of Cisco curricula. Oh, but it's until, coming. Okay, it might be coming, but it hasn't. Yeah. It's not really thus far. I mean, it's on the CCIE so, blueprint now. I mean, like okay, it, but, but yeah. nevertheless, when we're talking about uh, enterprise environments by and large, you know, you, you don't necessarily have a dozen CCIEs at every single location. That's fair enough. Uh, especially if you're talking about like a hospital with eight thousand people, right? So that's 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 a little complexity there with 50 sites. I'm making up numbers. Um, so you sorry, we're in all Cisco environment. I just learned EIGRP. That's what we're doing. You know, it's, it's simple implementation. There's three yeah. lines of config. So I really think that's a driving factor. Oh, right it there. is. It's a huge driving yeah. factor. In fact, I, I went to a customer <clears throat> once when I worked for Cisco that said they were switching from OSPF to ISIS and I asked them why. Mm-hmm. And they said, well, we're studying for CCIE. <laughs> It's a good, that's an honest answer, though. Really, it was an honest answer. To switch routing protocols. <laughs> I, I actually, I heard a comment the other day about ISIS. He says I, the, the person said, "I thought that was going away." Yep. I mean, I think I think yep. the mentality <laughs> is that it's a, is that it's a service service provider protocol that people are, are doing away with. When the, when the opposite is true, we're seeing ISIS in more and more implementations, yep. especially in the back end and underneath things that you wouldn't even know ISIS was running. Uh, ISIS is using being used for uh, you know transport of you know BGP loopback you know, peering addresses and all kinds of different things. Uh, so I, I think I think there's some misconceptions around it. I'm glad we're talking about it. But, uh, you know, it, it, from a percentage perspective, there might be, you know, one or two percent of the people who are watching this who have ISIS in any network they've ever run in there. So <laughs> I've never touched it. I've never touched it. <laughs> right. So what what is ultimately the, the main differentiators that we can identify that would say we need to, to choose ISIS over OSPF, you know, to, to link state protocols? Well, I said before, I think it actually has a better scaling characteristics. I think okay. OSPF is changing right now. There's some new stuff going on in OSPF P3 particularly that's pretty exciting mm-hmm. about it. I don't know when it's going to make it into code, but I do think there's some interesting things going on there, um, particularly the TLV work that AC and those right. guys are doing in the OSPF working group uh, is really interesting to me. Um, the other thing, so I think the scaling issue is one thing. I think the other thing is it's actually easier to understand what a DIS is doing than a DR when you really look at what they do. Um, so again, I like DIS better than DR. Um, I like mesh groups and ISIS better than mesh groups and OSPF. There's just, there's a lot of little things that you get into that, to me, it's actually easier to understand. When I do a show ISIS database detail, um, it's easier for me to understand what ISIS is doing because it uses those long net numbers. So in my mind, when I see a, when I see a type 22 or something like that, where I'm actually looking what the router is advertising for neighbor adjacencies, it's easy in my mind to separate topology from reachability in ISIS because it's two different address spaces. 
And in V4 OSPF, or yeah, in OSPF V2, when you're running V4 routing, they're actually the same thing. So you do a show OSPF database, and it's like I'm looking at router IDs, but they look like IP addresses. Mm -hmm. And they're okay. formatted that way. <laughs> yep. Right? Yep. That's, that's a really like good my point. Mind is going, oh, these are reachable address, reachable destinations. I want to ping those things. Right? right. They look IP addresses and they're, and they're not pingable really necessarily. They're not IP addresses. So in my mind, when I'm troubleshooting, it's easier for me to troubleshoot ISIS just because mentally I can separate the topology from the reachability in my brain when I'm processing mm -hmm. the outputs. Kind I, of think, I think that's such an interesting perspective because for most of us, when we learn routing, we don't have any concept of this control plane, data plane um, the, the, those characteristics, right, or those separators. And so I, I, I think that if that is built into the protocols, it helps people think differently about routing and, and may help to improve our conceptual understanding of how the network really works, if I said that in a way that no, makes sense. No, that's, yeah, that's yep. very good. Yeah. Yep. Well, and see, I think I'm going to take a slightly different position than Russ because then you look, especially, and, and I have to come down in two different camps here because I live in the service provider world and I live in the enterprise world. So I'm, I'm shelving the service provider section for a minute and going enterprise. And I think, you know, OSPF is, is, is almost the go-to protocol because there's so many things out there that don't support uh, ISIS. And so I think, you know, and then it gets down to, well, um, is OSPF really going to be the protocol that I'm using to connect the data center or the WAN, or is it, am I going to use it for reachability for like an IBGP autonomous system? So it really, it also kind of depends on that answer is what am I using my IGP for? Is my IGP exist because it is the routing protocol or does it exist because it's going to connect BGP? And so I think you have to kind of you know, delineate that as well. Yeah, sure. You, you so, guys. For me, like, and, and I agree 100% with you on ISIS's, uh, you know, its performance and its characteristics against OSBF. My problem is I just, I can't find it as much stuff, you know, as far as, and, and then you get into redistribution and that's, you know, it's my ejection seat. I don't want to have to fire the yeah, ejection. Right. Yeah. Sure. Sure. So just get all the firewall vendors to produce um, ISIS code. Yeah, or, yeah. It's not, it's not just firewalls though. I, there's so many appliances, so many other things that will run a protocol and, and allow you to dynamically fail uh, between paths. And, and so, I just don't see ISIS very often. Have we heard of NFB? No. <laughs> <laughs> there's another show. It. Yes. I can't wait for it. <laughs> I'll that down. It's for show four. <laughs> show four. <laughs> so uh, let, let's, let's open Pandora's box of BGP. Um, when is <laughs> when is BGP a good choice for enterprise deployments? Uh, always, yes. Is that always, always. <laughs> says the service provider guy. That's oh, what he says. Yes, BGP yes. solves everything. It does. Yeah. So, so I have a problem with a hammer. That's right. So to me, when I started saying it the last IETF, which people thought was kind of humorous, is I said that BGP has become the trash can of the internet. Explain, please. <laughs> Elaborate. <laughs> if we can't, if we need to solve any problem, we yeah. use BGP. It's mm -hmm. done. We use it on data center fabrics. We yeah. use it on for overlay networks. We use it for, I mean, everything. Just build an address family and your problem solves. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but anyway, so I think that BGP is very useful when you are using BGP for what it's designed to be used for, which is to interconnect multiple administrative domains or to carry policy 
in a way that makes sense in a network. I think we use it far too much for routing and it's really a mm-hmm. policy. It's more around policy. And we also don't think about things like, in a data center, I mean, Petr Lupkoff and I had this long discussion about BGP convergence in a data center fabric and using eBGP. Well, eBGP, frankly, does not converge all that fast. I On mean, purpose, right. On convergence, you know? Mm-hmm. And so is that, um, sure, you, so you can offset it in a data center by having in-way multipath and everything else, sure. But nonetheless, there's this point where you have to think, all right, am I really just using the same tool for everything because I know how to use the tool? As Yvonne said, I have a hammer, right? I'm just going to use it. Everything's a nail because I have a hammer. Um, so I, I find a lot of places where I use BGP in enterprises. Um, I've used BGP to connect um, data centers together over a network core. Or if I have a large bank core, I might use BGP to connect all the sites and stuff like that. I think that's perfectly reasonable. I think that when we get to the point where we're using BGP for everything, it becomes problematic. That's kind of my I, I actually, I completely agree with that because it, the protocol wasn't made to do all those things. I mean, it, it does do them okay, right? It's, but I mean, I agree with you. It's BGP at its heart is a, is a policy engine. How do, I, how do I make decisions about which path I want traffic to flow down, especially when it comes to like the edge or uh, even within my network, if, if there's, you know, uh, large subsections that I want to route via policy versus via routing protocol, where I don't want to have to be tuning metrics on individual links, but rather be talking about, you know, I want the next destination for this to be this router, because mm-hmm. that's the ingress point that I want to taking into right. this particular data center. Um, I, I had a customer who was a really good example. Um, they, they just, they're, um, they're an organization that has sites in all kinds of different places, the 400, 500 sites, but all kinds of different connectivity. So some of it is, you know, they have two different, you know, MPLS clouds, they've got satellite, they've got 4G, 3G, and there's just all of these choices as to which path it should go down. And they're, they're having the hardest time setting uh, IGP to make decisions about their, their routing prioritization about which they would prefer to go down first. Right. If I have an MPLS path first, I want to go down that first. If I want right. to, if I have mm-hmm. this other MPLS provider, that's my secondary path. And so we, uh, we're in the process of, of implementing a, a BGP core there where all yeah. of the different transit mechanisms come in so that we can make a policy decision uh, about well, leaving and entering the core. Yeah. And BGP gives you per, per destination policy, which you're right. just not, not going to get an IGP. Right. Right. It just, it just doesn't exist. I mean, you can hack around it. You can put tags in ISIS or OSPF or EIGRP and play with route maps and all that. But really, BG, that's what BGP is designed for is gives you per destination reachability policy that allows you to tune a lot of stuff. Um, it's a great protocol for what it's used for and what it should be used for, you know, but... Well, that's a great point, Russ, because I think, you know, my challenge in a lot of the enterprises I work in, which, you know, tend to be tend to be larger is I've moved towards BGP for everything. Now, obviously, what we typically will do within the data center is run it as an IBGP OS and run OSPF for reachability. But you get to the point where, like, you know, I, you know, I'm working right now where we're dealing with communities for intercontinental tra- you know, transit. We're trying to deal with yeah. traffic in Europe. We're trying to deal with traffic in North America. You know, you've got 7,000 routes on a private table and it's, well, where does this one belong? Well, you can use a community to say, well, that came from 
the Eastern yeah. time zone in North America. And then, you know, based on that information, you could say, well, I want, you, you should go here, you know, under these conditions. Mm-hmm. And I guess ultimately this is a problem that SD-WAN is really starting to solve. So, I mean, I think that's the oh, next no. evolution. He went, he went down the SD-WAN. But, but and I'm going to say that because, and, and I, I'm a routing guy at heart. I love BGP. So, but staying within the confines of what, you know, this is, I think it's really the only way to solve that problem. And I look at a data center today when I've got to go design one, and, you know, it's not like the old days where, okay, you had like two private circuits and two internet paths and they were redundant and that's what you had. Now it's, well, I've got these 16 private circuits over here and I've got all this stuff and it's, you know, how do you, how do you do it with OSPF? You can't. I mean, there's almost no way if you're going to have to set some kind of a, you know, policy and preference other than to overlay BGP, you know, on top of it. Right. And then I think you get into, you know, for the data centers, I don't deal with so much the scaling size and the enterprise that you do. I, I do more on the service provider side. But then it gets into, you know, in the, in the enterprise data centers, I'll typically use IBGP with an IGP underneath. Mm-hmm. But then you get into some of the things that you deal with, whereas that, that maybe doesn't scale when you're dealing with, you know, web scale stuff. You know, yeah. you've got to go into something else. So, so the problem I have, too, is that, and this is not just, you know, where I am, but all over the place that I talk to people at web scale companies is that, well, look, I'm running BGP on my data center fabric. Why can't I just tune my traffic on my data center fabric using communities? Wait. <laughs> You're going to traffic engineering with BGP communities on a data center fabric. No, don't, don't. Okay. <laughs> when your data center top of rack switch configuration gets to a thousand lines, you'll mm. know why this is not a good idea. <laughs> no, no, you need MPLS traffic engineering within the data center. That's the right way to solve that problem. <laughs> no. Or segment routing or something. Right? Yeah, segment routing. But, but nonetheless, I mean, that's kind of the problem, right? Is that you give people knobs and they turn the knobs because they're pretty and they get to do a lot of stuff with them. And sometimes you just don't want the knobs to be there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's an interesting comment from Twitter here from Matt Hato. Uh, and it, it's just another component to the whole discussion. And I think it's interesting because my mind didn't even go there. He says, it's a shame that when we talk about BGP everywhere, my first thought is licensing costs. Uh, and mainly just because, <laughs> because it's, you know, the highest level of licensing, you know, at least in, in Cisco world, right, that you don't get BGP in advanced features until you, until you license to the very top level. Yeah, there's a solution for that. Well, oh, yeah. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> spring range route. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so, anyway, can we, can so we the guy whose whole job is disaggregation right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, Kevin, we can run it all on 3850s, I hear, right? Yeah, oh, yeah I, I'm very surprised. So, yeah, I'm working a project overseas right now, and we were supposed to have some 4500Xs uh, to do to build an internet zone, and they didn't show up. And they were like, well, we got 3850s, and, man, they do – Lisp and BGP and ODR, which is what Jordan was bucking for. Here. There, there you go. Um, so yeah, no, it was good stuff. And, and the pro- protocol, which will remain unmentioned. And, and the protocol, yeah. <laughs> the protocol that should not be named. That's exactly right. Well, there's two of those. You said one of those bad words, those four little words, that Lisp thing in there too. So yeah. <laughs> so let's let's talk about business drivers a little bit. Uh, I, I've heard Russ talk a lot about uh, your network as a competitive advantage, and it's not just a thing which gets data from point A to point B, but actually um, is is a competitive advantage for the business. So what kinds of business drivers would influence how we would select a routing protocol, do you think? Well, okay, Yvonne, you go right for the jugular there. (laughs) (laughs) 
So from my perspective, and of course, I'm coming from a disaggregated world, right? I'm coming from a world that's going to white box and is very concerned about this. Um, From my perspective, the bang for the buck is in the network control plane. That's where the business policy really impacts the network. It's not down in the hardware and stuff. I mean, I know we all like to talk about ASICs and how much buffering they have and how they do this. And that's all really cool. But the real business meets the, the rubber meets the road for the business in the routing protocol or in the control plan, I should say. So um, the things that we don't think about when we're doing from a business perspective are these, are these policy issues, right? What is going to happen if I try to build policy into OSPF or ISIS? It's going to be a mess. What's going to happen if I try to make BGP into my IGP because, hey, I can do it and because I need all those policies? And at some point, you've got to start thinking about where the complexity comes in. And, you know, I'm always going to go to complexity. Everyone knows I'm always going to go to complexity. (laughs) When you start thinking about complexity and how the complexity falls into it, what you really want to do is build a suite of tools, not a single tool, that solves all the problems in a flexible way. And so that, to me, is where it comes into. I mean, from my perspective, if you're as big as some of the hyperscalers, you should be able to build your own routing protocol that matches what your business does very well. And that's the way it should work. Um, You know, if you're a smaller player, maybe you can't. But maybe you can use tools that are out there and think more about what's out there and how to use them better in a way that um, actually makes an advantage for your business. Yeah, you're preaching and being an engineer, Russ. I've heard you do it a lot of times, right? I know. Just getting back to our roots of saying this is the the problem. Let's find a solution and engineer something. That's right. I mean, y'all keep saying enterprise and and service provider, and that's actually a pet peeve of mine. Yeah, Uh yeah. There is no enterprise and no service provider. I get it. I get it. Well, I want to hear. I want to hear. I I I disagree. I don't know any enterprises that need to blast through mountains to get fiber through. So I I, I slightly disagree with that. Okay. So maybe on layer one. Okay. We got you. Yeah. Layer one, maybe. But I don't know. From a routing perspective, there are problems and there are solutions. That's it. Yeah, and I agree with that. You're you're right. And the and the reason the reason it, it it comes to my mind so much is because I go to so many large enterprise accounts and they say, I I mean I was in a company two years ago, and they said to me, well, we can't deploy MPLS. We are an enterprise. We don't, we don't have the okay. Like you what? No, we're an enterprise. We have to deploy VXLAN because we're an enterprise. We can't mm-hmm. deploy MPLS. So Russ, that happens to me all the time because coming from more of a service provider background than an enterprise background, that's, well, you know, really MPLS, you know, VPN before would be the right thing to do here for the isolation that you want. And it's a, well, you know, that's, that's, that service provider, that's an ISP thing. And it's like, you know, well, it's a tool. It's, you know, it's yeah. you know, 10 years ago, it was crazy to put BGP in a data center, but some people started doing it and it was like, oh, this solves a problem. It, it, it does something for us. And I think that's a great, a great point that you, you have a bunch of tools in the bag and you use the tools that, that you have in the bag. Right. Well, and, and they're, oh, they're both layer two and a half, uh, but which one are you familiar with? I think the other thing that is in there is that when you design and when you talk about routing protocols and not even outside the scope of routing protocols, I think that uh, we think it's better to run more things. Uh, it's, it's always more fun to run more things, but I think speaking to Kevin's point earlier about, you know, avoiding redistribution if you can, mm-hmm. and, and the way you select your protocol should be about simplicity right. and, and easy to manage and meeting the goals, right? You need to know the goals, but the goals are not technical goals. 
The goals are business goals. We use technical solutions to meet business goals. That's exactly right. 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 And so, and so those technical solutions might be, you know, how fast the failover happens or how right. quick, how quick a route redistributes. And, and, you know, not everyone needs super fast convergence. Not everyone needs it. Some people need it. Some people don't. Um, it might be great for some networks and tuning to that level might be, might be more troublesome in a network that doesn't need it because now you're dealing with the complexities of fast timers or a protocol that's more difficult to manage. Or you just drop BFD on a hundred routers and you don't know, <laughs> and you don't know what it does. Exactly. And, <laughs> and, and so, you know, I, I always take the approach that, you know, for every line of config you enter, you need to know why you're doing it. And it's not because you want to. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's because you're putting that in there for a very specific purpose. And that should be tied to a business purpose. It's not something we do well, I think, as an industry. Some people do it well. I'm not going to put everybody with that broad brushstroke. Um, but it, we really should be designing only as complex as what's required. If you can get away with one protocol, do that one protocol. If you need to, then you need to. Complexity isn't always bad so long as it's solving a problem for you. Yeah, that's complexity out of the necessity. Uh, you, know, you, make a, you make a good point because, you know, choosing a routing protocol, which is the name of the, the show today and, and the over, overarching uh, context in which we're speaking, uh, we're, we're bringing in business decision makers now at that point who don't know the difference between uh, ISIS and OSPF or EIGRP or whatever. They, they're trusting us to inform them. But ultimately, where's the business going to be in five years? Are we in a, a process of acquiring new uh, uh, locations and spinning up new sites? Are we... Um, uh, are we interested in disaggregating, you know, the control plane and data plane for whatever reason? So, so yeah, bringing in those other voices is important too. Uh, and that's not something I've typically done. Um, it, you know, working in non web scale companies, it's sort of, yeah, you go with what you know. Uh, but, but you're right. The business drivers are really what, what pushes that decision along. So, so let's try to give two examples, right? Okay. So, um, say you are a company that's a heavy acquisition company. You do a lot yep. of acquisitions in your company yeah. and you find that 90%, 90% of the people you acquire run OSPF. Does it make any sense to run ISIS, even though it might actually solve the technical problems in your network better when 90% of the people you integrate are going to be running OSPF? Mm -hmm. I don't know. You know, maybe it's crazy to retrain all those people. But on the other side, if you're a small company that is thinking, well, I'm a little financial company. I do day trading stuff and, and maybe I'm going to do a Hadoop thing. Oh, wait, you just told me you're building a data center fabric in the future. You need to think about your routing protocol from a data center fabric perspective today. Right. Don't think about what it means five years from now when you build the data center and you're like, oops, we used OSPF and it won't scale in our data center fabric. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you should have thought about that five years ago before you put all this money into training and effort yeah. building this. You should have thought about where you were going and chosen a routing protocol that would scale in that mm -hmm. environment, right? <laughs> and you should have started, oh, well, we're, we're not, you know, like the disaggregation thing, right? Well, in five years, we may build a big data center. Okay, well, you know what? The time to get experience with building a Unix box that runs as a router is now, not five <laughs> years from now, okay? <laughs> it might take you five years to get there. Yeah, it exactly. It might take you five years to get there, right? Yeah. So learn it now. Don't, you know, and, and, and grow your engineers. I think that's part of the problem we have is this is kind of my pushback on the familiarity thing. Sure, it's great that everybody knows OSPF, but are we growing engineers by doing the same thing we've always done just because it's easier to hire off the street. Maybe Facebook and other people have the right idea here. You hire people for their intelligence and then you grow engineers internally. 
and you don't hire big you don't hire big names unless you need them or you don't hire people i mean you know who are well experienced but set in their ways you hire mm-hmm. people who are flexible and you hire for flexibility and engineering skill not for oh we run all ospf and they know ospf so i'm happy no, that's well. I mean, that's that's an interesting perspective, and I wish our environments ran that way. Uh, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm just not picturing a whole lot of environments that would feel comfortable saying that we're going to grow engineers because it's not their business driver. It's not the thing that they do as a business, right? And, and I, and I know I can see it on your face, right? <laughs> right. That 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 the network is part of the part of driving the business forward. I can see it. I know exactly what you're saying. I think we have some work to do there. I, I agree with you 100, percent but I don't think. If you went and go talk to, you know, 100 CEOs today, that that even 50% of them would identify their network yeah. as, as a competitive right. advantage or a business driver or Probably a, not even 50%, probably so, right. 5%, 10%. And yeah, that's our fault. I consider that my fault, right? Uh, we need to educate. I mean, we yeah. need, yeah, we need, we need to be I'm explaining how we can. Educating my CEO, right? Mm-hmm. No. And I'm not doing it, obviously, if he doesn't think it's important. So, Jordan, you make a great make great point there, and I think and the education. We actually already educated ourselves, and part of the problem I run into is all of us went through, you know, the Cisco certification paths, you know, some some more than others, like Russ. I think, didn't you do all of them? Um, no, he wrote, he wrote some of them. I yes. think, I'm not kidding. <laughs> people come up to me and show me Cisco-validated designs and say, well, OSPF is the right protocol because it says so in this book. And I was like, yeah, and it was written 12 years ago. And so like part of the thing that's holding us back is, you know, one of the best things about what Cisco's done with their education program is also one of the hardest things for us to break away from is Mm -hmm. we get used to reading these validated designs in CCNA, CCNP, CCIE, and you say, when you use this, and this is how you use this. And then you have a whole group of engineers worldwide that say, well, I can only use OSPF for this. And so like fighting that lock-in mentality from everybody coming out of the Cisco world is, for me, it's a huge challenge because I'm a very multi-vendor, you know, uh, you know, type of shop in the way I operate. And it's a challenge. I'll give you a perfect example. Many years ago, the Cisco Online said um, OSPF should be limited to 50 routers. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I remember that. Right? You should have seen the huge internal argument to get that off the webpage. I mean, this was not like you know, small peas. This was like a huge argument <laughs> for months to get that off the webpage. So now we're on OSPF. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> <At all. laughs> I do have a um, I do have a question slash comment coming in from Twitter from uh, Michael Nelson. He mentioned a little earlier, um, specifically uh, with regard to BGP EVPN, EVPN uh, overlay protocols, how they'd work with ISIS. Um, and then he brought it up again a little bit later, basically asking what are what your thoughts are, guys, on BGP EVPN. Man, EVPN, I mean, like you could do your whole whole show yeah. on, on data center fabrics and overlays like that. So, I mean, I don't know how far we can dive into that, but uh, I, I, <laughs> there's, there's going to be two schools of thought. You're either going to mm-hmm. really like it because it solves your data center fabric problem, or you're not going to like it because we're jamming yet another thing into BGP yeah. and, and, you know, now transmitting layer two information over BGP for, you know, adjacency and layer two connectivity across layer three mm-hmm. uh, boundaries. So, uh, so I guess I, I guess I don't know if you've read what I've written on the IETF in the past, but I kind of have this perspective that EVPNs, like everything else in the IETF started out as a really neat idea, like Trill, right? Mm-hmm. 
there's nothing wrong with layer two carrying layer two and ISIS or BGP. What we tend to do though, is we tend to think of every potential corner case that anyone can ever think of out of the 2,000 or 3,000 smartest people in the world on routing protocols, that sounds get dangerous. together and sit down and think about what is every potential corner case that could ever occur and how we solve it. Okay. And they came up with BGP. No, well, no, no they, came, they came up with the current, with the current implementation of EVPNs, which is a good idea. But then you have all these weird things in there like, hey, I have this router that runs BGP, but it doesn't do routing. Wait, you have a what? Yeah, I have this device. It's the top of right switch and it doesn't do routing, but it runs BGP and it can strip in PLS labels. Yes. Wait, I want to see one of these. <laughs> all right guys we are, uh, we are getting close to our uh well we're past our 30 minute mark to tell you the truth so um just want to see if uh russ and kevin have any uh closing thoughts on the best way or how to think about choosing a routing protocol other than you know just pick bgp or just pick isis <laughs> We've distilled it down to two. <laughs> no, use the edge ERP. Be different. Be oh. different. Be, be different. <laughs> Buy Cisco licenses. <laughs> there we have it. There. Yeah. Uh, there you go. All right. Well, we want to thank everybody for joining us uh, this evening, today. Wherever um, you are, whatever yeah, time it is. Wherever, whenever you are. Um, check out the website, which is thenetworkcollective.com or follow us on Twitter, um, netcollectivepc. Um, we'll be back in a couple of weeks and we'll be interacting with you on Twitter. So we'd love to hear uh, your um, responses or thoughts about this episode. And uh, we will see you again soon.